During the pandemic, the pivotal role of digital infrastructure became crystal clear. But now, as cyber-physical convergence continues to pick up speed, so is the need for advanced network technologies. And all of this is blurring the boundaries between physical and digital realities. Welcome back to the Ericsson News Podcast. In this episode, we're speaking with Ericsson's Chief Technology Officer, Erik Jekulden, about network trends that are shaping future networks and heralding the start of the 6G era. Erik Jekulden, thanks again for joining me to talk about this year's technology trends. I, I appreciate it. Thanks, David, for having me here again. Uh, so I think, at least on this podcast, um, I think this is the first time that we, we talk about 6G, which is cool. Um, but in, can you tell us to start off, in what ways are we starting to see some of the first building blocks of this next frontier of, of mobile, mobile technology? Let's start by where we are today and, and just reflect on the situation when the pandemic has really accelerated digitalization around the world, perhaps by, by years. And of course, 4G and 5G now is becoming very clear as a critical part of everything we do, society, people's lives, and, and of course, businesses. Uh, already by the end of this year, 2021, we will have some 580 million 5G subscriptions. That's adding another 1 million subscriptions every day. So it's mm. phenomenal growth on that side. And if you look then at what 5G is, is offering for consumers, this is really about both for mobile as well as fixed wireless, residential access, really new capabilities, higher bandwidth, lower latency, more security, more reliability, all of that supporting augmented virtual reality applications, but so many more of our sort of daily life things, including productivity tools for, for consumers. And on the enterprise side, this is really a completely new era where we are seeing that mobile is becoming the access of choice. It becomes your, your first option when it comes to connecting. And that's, of course, uh, higher performance that 5G provides. It's about edge computing. In some cases, it's about built-in IoT optimization. And one thing which is really new and, and great with 5G is that for the first time, we can really start to offer SLA-based network services so that you get higher performance as an enterprise when you need it. We call it network slicing, and this is really something that's built into 5G from, from the start. And of course, as we are rebuilding 5G, this is about using the latest cloud-native technologies. This is about 5G core and uh, our cloud RAN, which are built cloud-native. And that also allows us to deploy these networks in completely new settings. Could be in an enterprise cloud environment where you really reuse that cloud infrastructure. Uh, and this openness of 5G that we're seeing now, it will also allow for a lot of this innovation that happens on top of the network platform. It really becomes this innovation platform for all other sectors to innovate on top of. And, mm -hmm. and that, I think, will be a sort of gradual evolution of 5G over the coming 10 years. So it's a lot of steps uh, coming here. So I, I think that's a really important point that you're making um, because 5G is a really powerful technology. Um, but what we're starting to see is members of the, the mobile industry already now coming together and starting to plan for and, and collaborate around what's, what's next. You've alluded to this. So I'm wondering, and, and I think this is really cool, how do you actually invent a new G? 
So G4 generation is, is a 10-year project typically. And, and the reason for that is that when we invent a new generation, 3G, 4G, 5G, and, and 6G, then it's really about looking at the new needs that the current technology cannot serve. And of course, that's, that's further out. We also look at the technology that's needed to really cover those new requirements. And then we need to look at the ecosystem, the maturity on everything from chipset development to uh, investment cycles, of course, to to the whole application and developer ecosystem. So that's why it actually takes typically 10 years for a complete new generation. But as I said earlier, 5G has increments basically every half year, every year you have new features and functions. And of course, new phones, new IoT devices, new glasses with AR, VR, that will happen at a very rapid pace. I mm. mean, after all, mobile is the fastest growing technology, all categories. So of course, there's innovation continuously. And of course, this is a lot of what the technology trends is looking into. Um, and this is the seventh year in a row that we've published uh, the annual technology trends outlook. So I'm, I'm just wondering, why, why is it important to continue making technology predictions each year? And what new insights is this edition of the tech trends uh, providing us with this year? Well, we're working with uh, many of our partners in the ecosystem, be it on the hardware side, on the software side, on the cloud or AI side. And of course, we work with our leading customers on how to pave the way for, for us as partners, but also for the industry in general. And that requires us to look further out, so five, ten years out. What, what can we really do with technology over the coming cycles? And I think that for every other industry that we work with now, we started working with 5G for Industries already 2015 when there was no 5G deployed. Mm. This kind of early awareness, working with the industry use cases, working with the whole uh, society change to digitalization, that requires some time to prepare. You need to start early to talk about what's coming. And of course, what we talk about now is major changes in terms of the network infrastructure, the digital infrastructure, but also very much about automation, very much about how you can do things in completely new ways. Mm. And for everyone, consumers, enterprises, those that build applications, and of course for governments, this is a long-term journey. So you need to start to plan ahead. And that's, that's really one of the reasons that we are sharing this. Mm. So in, in previous trends, you've predicted and talked about the convergence of the physical and the digital worlds. But in this year's trends, we're going one step further um, and, and deeper into what network functions are going to be needed for something you refer to as the networked reality. Can you first explain what this term uh, refers to and then talk a little bit about what kind of functions are going to be required to make this all possible? Again, I think the, the last year has taught us many things about digital and, and already Years ago, we, we started to talk about digital twins and, and the physical world having a digital representation and, and you need to interact between the two. But what you realized, uh, certainly after a year like the one we've been through now, is mm -hmm. that the network plays a very important part in that because it's not only about the work that you do or the experience that you have in front of your laptop uh, in the office or at, at a certain place at home. This is really about a pervasive immersive experience where you need to bridge between the digital world and the physical world. And the fact that the network really needs to be there wherever you are. It's, it's not only in those few places. You need mm -hmm. to have it pervasive. You need to have it as a network reality. And since you are interacting between the digital and the physical world constantly, the network, of course, is the key part. If you cannot exchange sensor data from the physical world to the digital representation, if you cannot feedback actuation commands, 
in real time down to the physical world, it simply doesn't work, especially when you're out and about and experience these things. So the, the term networked reality, it's, it's simply pointing out that this is a big change in terms of digital and physical, but the network actually has a fundamental role to play here. Right. And it, if we take that just one step further, you know, I wonder what are some of the future use cases that are going to drive this networked reality? So I think of three broad categories of use cases uh, for the network reality. And the first one is the internet of, of senses. The uh, second one is really about this digitalized and programmable physical world. Uh, a third one could be this connected and intelligent machines, not connected intelligence humans, but connected intelligent machines. Mm -hmm. So if we start with the first one, which is then the internet of senses, it's perhaps easiest to relate to. Um, in the internet of senses, uh, we really make it possible to blend this multi-sensory digital experience with the local surrounding that you, you are present in. And you interact remotely over distance with people and of course things. And uh, you want to expand that sensory experience or the sensory, uh, the complete experience to something that is, is really not just audio and, and visual. It's haptic, it's uh, smell and it's taste. And of course it goes back to actuation in the other direction. So this is really about a full-fledged internet of senses. It's, it's a big step, of course, but it's, it's a very natural step. The second one would be the digitalized and programmable physical world, which is not so different from what we think of as today as digital twins or your avatar in the digital world. But here we do it for, for many more objects. Uh, we have the digital representation or the digital twin and the physical world that needs to be fully programmable and, and of course automated. And this will allow us to look back at what has happened. It will allow us to optimize where we are today. And it will also allow us to predict what's going to happen in the future because we have interaction between the digital and the physical and can fast forward into the future. So this is about orchestration, actuation and, and reprogramming. Mm -hmm. And the third one is... Uh, really about the, the more advanced machines, the connected intelligent machines. And uh, they could be physical objects, they could be software agents, and uh, they are operating both on the tasks in the digital world as well as in the, in the physical world. Uh, of course, they are connected to applications and, uh, and, and, and the users, but it's really about the machinery behind it. And since they don't suffer from the, the limitations of, of humans in terms of how fast we can react, we actually have to stress that these agents or these physical objects, they need to interact even faster than we can possibly imagine as, as humans. Mm. And that puts, of course, new strains on the, on the digital infrastructure. So super exciting, very important area, but it really shows us that we need to continue to push the boundaries when it comes to the supporting infrastructure because these uh, intelligent machines will actually put, put even higher requirements on the system. But if we, if we come back to some of the early stage 6G development that's going on right now, my understanding is that we don't actually know what, exactly what 6G is, is going to be like yet. Um, but I'm wondering, can you already now talk about what some of the characteristics that this technology is going to need to have? So let's uh, take the four areas that we outline in the, in the technology trends. The, the first one is really about adaptable and, and limitless connectivity. Think of it as, as really pervasive, indoor, wide area, everywhere. But it's also about new radio technologies in the terahertz band. We're talking about really high performance as a key characteristics to optimize for. And of course, this has to do a lot with energy consumption, reducing the energy per bit, but also bringing in everything from 
extremely low power sensors which are operating without battery energy harvesting all the way up to the to the gigabit speeds that that you need to to have to get the immersive experience so that's really the adaptable limitless connectivity mm-hmm. the second one is much more about the intelligence, the federated cognitive networks, which is really where 60 takes a, a giant leap on top of where we are or beyond where we are today when it comes to AI in the networks. And uh, we already use AI in 5G today. We do it for optimization purposes. We do it to improve the performance of the products, lower the energy consumption, and of course, create a, a better user experience. But in, in 60, we're talking about AI being a fundamental part of this fabric. And it gets really to a self-driving network if you want to have a, a model for how that could look like. The third area is really about the compute itself, which needs to be a network compute fabric, meaning that whether you run your applications, your workloads in the device, on the glasses, in the sensors, you run it in the network edge, or if you run it in more of a public cloud or a hybrid cloud environment, that shouldn't really matter. As a developer, you need to be able to place that application and workloads anywhere in this uh, fluid compute network compute fabric. So the flexibility of that is really important. And of course, also that you have availability of advanced accelerators when you need them. This is not just about uh, distributing compute. This is really about optimizing where compute should be done. Mm. Can it be done? at the uh, central place? Does it have to be run on the device or is it better placed in the network edge? And then the fourth area, which really has to do with the whole area of higher performance, uh, even higher security, uh, trustworthy systems for short. And 60 will have to cater for uh, billions, if not trillions of embedded devices. And of course, this comes with the architecture to build in these characteristics from the ground up. As we build a new system, a new standard, we always have the chance to, to build an even stronger performance security architecture from the ground up. And then, of course, because it's, it's mainstream technology, it also helps all other sectors with their performance, their security and so forth. When we talk about use cases, they can seem by nature for 6G kind of futuristic. But in fact, there, there, there are use cases that we are testing on the ground uh, already today, like digital twins and autonomous systems. And I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit more about how we're doing these, where we're doing some of these, uh, to kind of highlight how this is actually starting to evolve today. So 5G has many of these uh, characteristics to support, for example, a fully digitalized port, like like the one in Italy, in Porto Livorno, where we are testing digital twins with 5G. And of course, we see the uh, efficiency gains, we see the, the flexibility in, in routing traffic on the port. And, and of course, this is a, a great showcase of where 5G can take big steps already today with digital twin technologies. We're doing similar things in our own smart factories where we're building 5G with 5G gear, uh, such as what we do in Texas, in Louisville and, and other places around the world. So of course, these are gradual steps that, that we're taking using 5G, AR, VR being supported. Uh, in those settings, we use um, edge compute and, of course, uh, AGVs, guided vehicles that are 5G enabled. All of this really lowers uh, energy consumption significantly. The efficiency could be, for example, on the energy bill, some 24-25% that we uh, ex- uh, experienced ourselves. Uh, but these, these facts, they are really uh, across all sectors. So now is the time to scale it up already with 5G, and then we will pave the way for, for what comes further out. Eric, as always, it's it's really interesting to speak with you about future network trends. Um, but before I let you go, I have one more one more question. You talked about network capabilities and functions um, that are required for the the six G era. But I'm wondering, 
how are collaborations going to need to evolve um, to be able to make all of this happen going forward? I think we've been uh, good at collaborating across uh, the industry for every generation. And, and this will be true in the evolution of 5G all the way to, to 6G as well. I think uh, everyone realizes that this is a time to come together in joint research projects. It's about working collaboratively on use cases that are futuristic today, but will will immerse as commercial realities five to 10 years out. That I think we, we should just continue as we've done before. But what is a little bit new now is that our collaborations in the ecosystem, they have to go even wider because we are using enterprise application digitalization as one of the drivers. That hasn't been the case in the past. We are using much more of the societal changes in terms of sustainability as drivers for this next change. And that requires us to work even broader when it comes to openness, collabor uh, collaboration. And of course, it's about using the digital infrastructure, the network as a platform for innovation today, five years out and even 10 years out. In fact, we will be innovating incrementally on the evolution of 5G now. And in, in the coming 10 years, we will see kind of an explosion of that capability. But when we get to around 2030, we will have enough uh, capabilities, maybe a 10 times uh, improvement or a 100 times improvement on some of the characteristics to really meet the needs of the, the future enterprises and consumer applications. And that's really when it's time to commercialize. That's the time when these collaborations really need to form into true partnerships, business partnerships, where we can drive the industry together. Erik Ekudan, thank you very much again for joining me on this podcast. I really appreciate it. Thanks, David.